Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have a returning guest, Marcos Valadares, uh, the founder and CEO of Pluricell Biotech. Spoke a number of months ago, and he's back. How are you doing, Marcos? I'm doing great. It's good to be back, Rich. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, in case listeners don't remember offhand, uh, tell me about Pluricell, what, what you guys do. Uh, we are a stem cell company. We are biotech. Uh, we founded Pluricell four years ago. And uh, our focus back then, uh, we were deriving and commercializing human cells. Uh, uh, differentiated from stem cells. And at the moment, we were doing that for research use applications only. But now we've uh, improved that, improved out a little bit, and we are aiming for a different focus. We are focusing on more therapeutic applications of these cells derived from stem cells. So are they still stem cells, or are they uh, stem cells that have differentiated themselves into a like a, a pre- heart cell or a pre-liver cell, like, you know, can you say more specifically about what kind of cells you're creating? Of course. Uh, no, they are not stem cells. We envision these stem cells. We call them induced pluripotent stem cells as more of a platform because they can become uh, virtually any, t- any cell type in the body. So they're a very good source uh, of differentiated cells. Uh, we, we just uh, put, we, we work with these stem cells because uh, we, we can basically, if the time requires of you understand it's a good idea, we can shift for a different application. But at the moment, uh, we are working with heart cells derived from stem cells, but they are not stem cells anymore after we differentiate them. So, yeah, I'm just not clear on the path. So you're taking adult cells and making them go back in time or restoring some of their lost abilities, or you're taking stem cells Perfect. and moving them part of the way along a path towards differentiation. Perfect. Coming back a little bit. So... We, we get uh, cells, adult cells from, donor, uh, from donors, uh, healthy donors. And uh, it could be people that are diseased as well. But since we are looking for a therapeutic applications, we are actually aiming for healthy donors. Uh, we, we get adult cells and then we uh, wind them back, their clock back, and we, we make them uh, a pluripotent. Pluripotent is a characteristic of very, uh, uh, very naive cells, very early cells in the, or the human development. So we induce this stemness in them, and that's why they are called induced pluripotent stem cells. After we have these cells, we basically have a, 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 a card in which we can, we can do any, any, any cell type. 
uh, the only thing we have to understand is how to differentiate these cells into the cell type we want. And currently, pluricell cell knows how to differentiate the stem cells into heart cells. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's where we are looking for, actually, we are aiming for therapeutic applications you know, on, the, uh, on the heart uh, uh, field. Can, um, can any adult cell go back in time and become pluripotent? Or are fat yeah. cells better than skin cells, better than this cell? Or, you know, what's the best source material? So there are many uh, uh, publications, scientific publications showing that, that any cell type, basically any cell type, adult cell type, can become a induced a stem cell. The only requirement is that they still hold to their nucleus. So, for example, uh, blood cells, red blood cells, they do not have nucleus, so they can't be reprogrammed. But in a, any adult cell type that has a nucleus is is, is uh, prone to be reprogrammed and, and become a induced pluripotent stem cell. And, and that's actually a very uh, uh, proof of principle, very good proof of principle that we have all the genetic information in each and every cell type. We just have to know how to program the cell to become whatever we want, including mm. a stem cell, a very early stem cell. So, um, is your preference? So, your preference is not to take it from person that you're helping. You call that auto something, autologous. Do you do you prefer to take autologous cells, or do you prefer to take cells from donors, and why? Uh, yeah, we rather we rather use not autologous. We rather use allogeneic uh, or allogeneic because uh, in that way we can store our solution. So it could be an off-the-shelf solution. Uh, in principle, we can use autologous therapy using this technology. Uh, but at the moment, we understand this could be very, very prohibitively uh, expensive because there's there are, uh, there are very many steps in the process. And each and every step has to be very uh, precisely done and, and quality controlled. And uh, for an autologous process, it could be very expensive if some of the steps went wrong and we have to do it all over again. So an allogeneic process uh, seems, in the business perspective, seems more interesting. And, uh, and therefore, we can even have an off-the-shelf solution for that. But how I would think there's a trade-off. Um, the DNA and all that resides in the nucleus, so far as I understand. And then you have mitochondrial DNA. So wouldn't you need to take a donor cell, pull out the nucleus and the mitochondrial DNA and put that stuff in from your expected patient and then turn the cell into a pluripotent stem cell? Or am I just totally off base? No, no, no. What you're thinking maybe could be related to, to uh, uh, when, when we talk about transplants, uh, you have to have a match. Uh, mm. uh, and you're probably touching on that base. But in our what we are discussing here, uh, we could have we could manipulate the DNA to have a allogeneic uh, of, uh, type that could be matched for any person. Could be a match for any person. That it, it has some tricks around that. It's not uh, straightforward, but but it's doable. The other uh, solution someone may come up with, and and it's a it's, it's a viable solution. That means that it's it could be done, but it's it's more cumbersome. It, it requires more work. It is to actually uh, screen a population for specific donors. They are called super donors. These people, they have a genetic uh, uh, makeup that allows them to, to, to be a match for a large portion of the population. So if you have one of these people, for example, in your bank, I'm going to call it a bank, when you bank these people, uh, you are able to address many people in the population using the same cell. 
so you don't have to actually uh, um, uh, have any. You have don't have to take the nuclear and the genetic material out of the cell and put the one you are interested in. You can maintain everything, and you know that they will be a match because you know they have this genetic makeup allowing them to be a match for a large proportion of the population. So uh, uh, okay. not necessary. We don't need to 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 do that nucleus thing. So is the goal to, you know, you're working with heart cells, is the goal to grow an entire heart and then put it in a donor? Or are you patching up parts of the heart that are damaged? Or, you know, what's your therapy in particular? Uh, that's that's a good question. Uh, we we truly envision a time in which we will be able to to probably reconstruct a large, large portion of the heart or maybe even the entire heart. But at the moment, uh, we're, we're looking at specific places in which heart cells have died. So places that have under uh, undergone ischemia, and therefore uh, uh, the tissue died. And since the heart is called a post-mitotic tissue, that means uh, it cannot regrow itself, or it regrows very slowly to the point that it's not even measurable. Uh, the, the heart gets scarred after a heart attack, for example. Uh, the, the heart loses a part, a part of the tissue and does not regrow, and, and, and it remains a scar in that place. What we are aiming to do is actually to regenerate that specific place and uh, put heart cells back to that place so they can help the entire heart to beat again or beat properly, actually. It's still beating, but it's, it's beating more uh, uh, weakly than, than before. So have you actually implemented this therapy? And what, what happens? Like, what's an example? The patient had a heart attack yeah. and, this, you know, tell me, tell me a case study, what happened? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these, these therapy is still, uh, have not been uh, undergone clinical trials. So human trials, mm. uh, there, there was only one, uh, that was conducted in a single patient. So it's not really uh, robust in that sense. Uh, uh, and it's a, it was a safety trial. People were trying to see if this was safe. Uh, and the results were quite interesting, but again, since it's only one patient, it's the, 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 we can't really uh, extrapolate a lot. But in animal studies, uh, many groups have have actually found very interesting results showing uh, that this kind of approach could be very, very important for human therapy. But we are yet to see human trials. In our in, in Pluricell, we're still conducting our animal studies because obviously, I mean, we have seen that scientifically many groups have, have been able to achieve part of that, but we have to do that with our own uh, cells and our own therapy, obviously. So uh, we're still touching on that base. So you have you done this on animals and what's been the results or is it not even at that stage yet? Yeah, no, no, we're, we're doing that. Uh, the results are, 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 are well. I mean, we are doing small animals yet, so we haven't uh, progressed to large animals. And what we see is that actually the cells can engraft, they can become a part of the tissue, but uh, the clinical implications of that in small animals uh, have to be uh, uh, cautiously uh, explored because, uh, for example, rats, they, they, they have a heartbeat much, they, the, heart, the heart of a rat beats much faster than a human heart. Uh, sometimes we can say people have like 60 RPM uh, beats, beats per minute, actually not RPM. But uh, when you go to rats, for example, rodents, you have 400 beats per minute. So, I mean, it's much faster than what we anticipate for human tests. So uh, there are limited information we can get from animals, from, from small animals. And such as we know that these cells are being uh, uh, engrafting in the tissue. We know they're surviving the procedure. Uh, and, and the animals are, are, are being able to ameliorate 
but we now have to move up to larger animals, for example, pig or even non-human primates, to see if we can get, for example, arrhythmia results or, or even more significant clinical results. So, all right, so it's working in the animals, but the animals are so different because of the heart rate that, you know, you really need to do clinical trials on people before you really can say for sure. Exactly, exactly. That's it. How, how do you administer the treatment? Do you inject the cells into the heart or do you, you know, slather yeah. on a, a scaffolding of cells or what, what do you do? Uh, we are actually uh, trying to, to find the, the best answer for that. There are many ways that could be done. Uh, there are some people that are involved in scaffolding, as you mentioned, uh, biological scaffolds, so uh, made of proteins or even materials that could be bio-absorbed uh, later on by the body. Uh, but some other people are just right on injecting the cells specifically into the, into the place where they're lacking the cells. And uh, there's still no consensus in which what's the best way to do it, and we are trying to find our are a way around that as well. So it could be both. We just don't have the answer yet. Yeah, you know, what, what's your short-term goal? What do you think the lowest hanging fruit is? To regrow an entire heart or to fix an existing heart, you know, fix the damage? No, definitely uh, would be fixing an existing heart because uh, when we talk about that, what we understand is uh, this, the people that have suffered, uh, as I mentioned, for example, a heart attack, uh, they've lost a key component of the heart which we can reproduce, which is the the cardiomyocytes, the heart cell that's beating. But if you want to reconstruct the heart, uh, you're not talking only about uh, heart cells. You're talking about also endothelial cells, for example, that are cells that are that make up the vessels, and also fibroblasts okay. that are cells that that are like structural cells uh, that give a structural uh, basis for the heart. So I mean, there's more, there's more, a lot more complexity around building the entire heart than just patching up. Uh, some places that are not non-functional at the moment. So, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty straightforward approach. Uh, the heart is beating slowly or weakly, and what we want to do is put more cells there to increase strength and help the heart work better for the person. So, so the lowest okay. hanging fruit definitely would be to patch up. Right. It's like, you know, uh, I don't know, replacing the tires on a car versus the engine or, you know, Perfect. making a whole new car. Okay, got it. Exactly. exactly. Makes sense. Exactly. So why, why heart cells? What led you to do, to work in this area? Are heart cells the easiest to make from pluripotent stem cells, uh, or is there another reason? No, no. Uh, there are other cell types that could be made. Uh, heart cells were indeed one of the first ones that were out there, and it's specifically the ones we started working on. So we had previous uh, knowledge about this, this situation. And uh, what we see is that we can uh, uh, also... We can address a very important problem. So, people uh, heart problems is a is a very uh, important problem nowadays for for the healthcare system, uh, and it's an ever increasing problem because people are aging uh, and and having and living longer. Therefore, the the expectations on heart problems is to to increase. So, if we address this problem, we're actually addressing a very pressing issue. So we joined everything together. We think we had a, a good option to move forward for therapeutic applications. Have you thought about, um, is there a way to take the damaged heart tissue itself and turn it back into a pluripotent stem cell so it can regrow? Or is it, you know, just too far gone? Uh, we, we actually do, uh, we don't do with the heart cell because they're not easily accessible. Uh, but mm. we definitely do this in vitro. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not a good idea to do in vivo because... These stem cells, these induced pluripotent stem cells, they are actually very, they they grow a lot 
they they really have okay. uh, a growth potential and 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 since they can become anything if you actually do that in vivo you're very likely to have a teratoma for example which is a complex cancer involving different uh, um, cell types for example uh, neural cells and muscle cells and skin cells all in the same blob you know Oh, so wow. it's not a good idea to have these these stem cells in vivo. Uh, uh, we we work them ex vivo uh, in the lab, and after that, sure. after we have differentiated into a specific cell type, then we put them in vivo. So it actually be very dangerous to do this in vivo. It sounds like no, it is that there are a lot of quality controls that have to be run uh, in order for us to be accepted by the regulatory agency uh, to put. Uh, these cells in vivo, but we have good animal data. I mean, again, scientifically speaking, worldwide, showing that uh, the previous tests um, are, are are showing that it 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 looks pretty safe after we run all the tests, after we have get rid of the induced pluripotent stem cells by differentiating the cells. Uh, we, we, we we it seems to have a robust data showing that we're we're safe on that side. Obviously, okay. uh, it's it's never it's better to be sick than sorry. Obviously, so we will keep yeah, on definitely. running these tests. But 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 sure. they're looking promising. So how do you um how do you make a pluripotent stem cell? I don't you know I know it's complicated, but can you? I don't even know if it's proprietary, but can you talk about how it's done? Maybe some of the basics. No, of course, no problem. Uh, actually, uh, uh, we one, one thing that uh, everybody was very amazed by is that it it. It turned out to be quite simple to to do this. Uh, it's not proprietary uh, in our side. It's it's uh, it's just Japanese technology. So this was invented, actually discovered, if I can say that way, uh, in 2006, done in mice and in humans in 2007. And what you do is, uh, as I mentioned before, the nucleus hold all the information for all from all the cell types that make up the body. And what this Japanese group found out is that if they induce or if they uh, 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 put some cues for some genes to turn on, if they turn on some genes in the in the cell, uh, these genes are called master regulators. They actually start a program inside of the cell that tells the cell they are a stem cell. And uh, the number of genes you have to turn on are actually very small. We, we were thinking about 30 or 50 or even 100 genes. But you, you just need to turn on four genes inside of a cell. And you're able to tell that, that cell that they sh the cell should become an induced pluripotent stem cell. So sure. if you induce and turn on four genes, you, you can induce any cell type, any adult cell type into pluripotency. I mean, again, uh, virtually, he's speaking, right? I mean, many results have shown that actually could be any cell type, but uh, we're... That's amazing. It's a Nobel Prize in 2012. <laughs> now, is it pretty easy to do now that it was discovered, or is it still really difficult to do? No, I mean, it has its tricks, but I have to tell you, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of impressive how everybody in the world could reproduce the work that was done in 2006 and 2007. I mean, we've, we've had some cases in the scientific scenario that people have developed a technique which was very powerful and everything, but uh, took years to be adopted by the scientific community because it was just very complex and very difficult. This one, I mean, you, you look at the scientific literature, one year after they have uh, showed the work, Many people, many groups were able to reproduce it, and and after one, I mean, afterwards, 
just got increased, I mean, tenfold, an order of magnitude every year because people were just able to reproduce the work. It was a very sound and solid uh, piece of work and relatively easy. So, impressive. Huh, amazing. So, what's on, uh, how many years or months will it be until you're able to start clinical trials and then how long of a process is that until you're able to, you know, people are able to actually have this therapy? Since we're talking about uh, a, a a cell therapy, uh, that's a very complex uh, regulatory framework. And even the most advanced nations uh, uh, in that field, for example, Japan or Europe or even United States, uh, uh, they they are still building the basis for that. Uh, uh, we anticipate that in our case, there are some other companies out there doing similar work, not specifically the same thing, but similar work uh, uh, that could do this earlier. But in our case, we believe that if successful, uh, we might take 10 years until we get to the market. Uh, we understand to start clean, clinical trials in humans. So human use, not human approval, but human use to testing people, we anticipate somewhere between four to five years. Oh, okay. Um, I guess it's enough to just deal with heart cells only, or is it? Uh, do you have ambitions to... You know, create for you know a library of pluripotent stem cells for all kinds of applications. Or is that another company's uh, we, game? No, no. Uh, there are some companies playing that game, of, as you said. But uh, uh, we we understand that uh, as a small company, we have to focus. So we're just targeting uh, cardiac stem cell. But if we uh, understand it, it's time to grow and would be a, a good idea for us to increase our portfolio. Uh, that's that's truly an option. Not at the moment. I mean, again, because we are a small company, we have to focus our efforts. But we've we've seen other companies much larger than ourselves uh, trying to tackle at least two diseases using the same type of uh, of uh, tool, which is these stem cells. So it's not undoable. It's just a matter for us of focus because we're a small company. Okay, very good. I guess the last question is, uh, you know, what's the best way to get in contact with you? If people are interested, they want to find out more, they may want to form a relationship somehow. You know, what, how do they get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, you can always visit our website, uh, www.pluricellbiotech.com. Uh, we have a version in English as well. Uh, you, you can contact me through email. It's my first and last name, marcos.valadaris at pluricellbiotech.com. And uh, we'll be glad to share any information and, and discuss any potential interactions with anybody interested. We're, we're open for that. It's a very tough uh, field, very audacious goals, and we are very excited to tackle them. But we understand that anyone interested in helping out or joining in, uh, it's, a, it's a good idea for us to discuss. That's great. Well, Marcos, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting me over again. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast 
post a review, and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.